Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. You'll never have the sacred stone. <laughs> oh, this you crazy mother. This is Eat and Drink with Ali Hassan and Marco Timpano. The podcast where back of house Ali and front of house Marco talk food and drink. Heads up. These two spent decades in restaurants, so some mature content and language is bound to come up. Get ready for Eat and Drink. Forks up. All right, the moment you've been waiting for, something we've been promising is here. I'm Marco Timpano. I'm Ali Hassan. We have a we have a repeat guest. The way we treat our guests, we worry sometimes they may not they may not come back. There'll be no repeats. It's not the way we treat them. It's the way Marco treats me while they're here. He, he doesn't come off good. He gives a real negative vibe. But guess what? Loretto Grimaldi. We can't. I'm not supposed to say your last name. Am I, Loretto? That's okay. No, I can see your last name. I can't. It's a matter of public live. record now. <laughs> I can't say where I live, or you can't tell me how many how many bottles I have in my cellar. Those were the two That's places right. you Those can't are the go. Two. I don't know anything about your address. All I know is you got like uh, three bottles maximum at all times in your home. Exactly. That's the lie we're telling. Uh, but we're very excited to have our friend Loretto back with us. It's uh, it's the world of wine, and it's not just your average world of wine. No snobbery, uh, nope. no no sort of uh, uh, boring to death talk about uh, grapes. It's it's beautiful. The last time you were here, Loretto, it was stories a story I still tell about those stubborn grapes, uh, the volcanic Greek uh, um, soil that they oh, grow the, Assir- the Assyrtiko grapes, yeah, they grow on the ground. Amazing. So uh, you it had an effect on us. Yeah, I bet exactly. It's uh, it. You transported us to a place we've never been before. Listen, I, well, I love uh, to see this. Yeah. Our our wine expert, like you said, Ali, shoots from the hip. He's not gonna he's not gonna sugarcoat anything. He's gonna tell you what's what. And uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Loretto. You were gonna talk about a certical. I have something I need to tell you that a listener told us as well. Go for it. Okay, so one of our listeners, I mentioned this a couple uh, shows ago, uh, was really jazzed about ordering. Uh, a Lambrusco in a restaurant and he went to the restaurant and the waiter didn't know what the Lambrusco was and made our listener feel oh, bad for ordering it. So is there any insight that you would like to share with this listener based on his experience? Well, first of all, I feel badly for both of them, the the client for potentially having been embarrassed. I don't know if he was there with a, a hot date or otherwise was kind of looking to, uh, you know, showboat a little bit and then you have the the server who uh you know presumably got got caught flat-footed that's not a good situation uh, on either side of the fence but look at the end of the day you know it depends on the kind of restaurant i have to admit you know lambrusco is not you know not the most popular grape out there so the fellow or the lady that uh that didn't answer you know it, it really does depend on uh, the kind of restaurant you know the kind of expectations they have for the servers and whatnot but I guess the real question I have for you is when when the question was asked and the server said whatever they said, I don't know um, what you're talking about. Did they, did they at least salvage the situation by saying, hey, um, but based on what you've ordered, can I suggest this and that? Or did they just sort of stare at their shoes and piss the customer off? They made the, the customer feel embarrassed so much so that they didn't feel like they could ask any other questions. And that's where I had the problem where it's like, if you don't know the wine the person's asking, 
go talk to your bar manager, talk to somebody else, or just tell the person, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with their that wine. Let me see what I can get you that's in that world. And then use your phone, figure shit out. That's how I feel. I don't know. Here's what we do. Think. Yeah. Well, what I think is we find that waiter, we invite them on as a guest. We say, we had your, your, you, you served us once. We're big fans. And then we get them here and then we roast them, the old bait and switch. And we go, you're a piece of garbage. You understand? You're a piece of trash. You never treat one of our listeners that way. That's well, look, uh, the, 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 the sad part is that, you know, depending on the kind of menu that let, let's be honest with ourselves, the most of the profit from, you know, restaurants comes uh, from the bar tab. So if you're a restaurateur and you're throwing servers out there into the, you know, into the wild in front of your customers, if you're not being responsible to make sure that they at least, you know, know enough to be dangerous, especially if you've got a, a wine list that's got more than, you know, Spamanti Bambino and some two buck Chuck from, you know, total wine in Georgia. Oh, you're making my mouth water. (laughs) So that's too bad. So hopefully he ended up finding the Lambrusco somewhere else. And he's, well, I suppose uh, Loretto and Marco, I I suppose it's no different from there's a certain type of bar with a certain type of clientele and a certain type of drink list where you can go and say, I'll have a corpse survivor number five. And the bartender will be like, great coming up. And they know the difference between the five and the three or whatever it is, right? And some places mm-hmm. people are going to be like, hey, man, you're at, uh, you're at Shoeless Johnny's. Do you want red or white? You're lucky we have yeah, either. Exactly. So it's that kind and of you thing. Should calibrate, yeah, you should calibrate your, your server's expertise based on that, Ali. I think that's a great way to, uh, to, look, about, to, to look at it. But a good server, presumably, because, I mean, Marco will know, because, you know, and you too, you've been in the service industry, the food services environment for a long time. If you're good enough, you would have been able to figure out how to wing it, you know? Marco wasn't uh, what we call a good server, but he did work with some. So I think he yeah, uh, listen, he's seen I, them I, in action. I, I brought my bad habits and I picked up a few good ones along the way. My feeling is this. Listen, if you're serving someone and they're asking you for something that you don't know about, you should you should be, you know, um, humble. Self, self-aware, humble yeah. enough to know that you're not going to know everything. And if you don't know, there's other resources for you, whether it be your manager, exactly. the owner or your phone. And you can say like, listen, I don't know that wine. Let me see what I have. That was, that was a big thing that came up based on your previous um, appearance here on uh, the podcast. But since your appearance, appearance, uh, Loretto, people haven't been going to restaurants because of COVID. So I guess the the natural uh, question is how has COVID impacted the wine industry? And, and were you responsible for COVID uh, Loretto also? Because it is quite a coincidence, I must say. You come on, it, it, you talk it, about wines, all of a sudden no one can go out and drink wines anymore. I don't know. I just, I, I'm hoping I, we, we hear a good alibi today. That's all. Well, look, let me tell you guys that, um, <clears throat> you know, COVID has had, as we all know, a, a devastating impact on a whole bunch of different industries. But then there are, are some surprises. And you'll be shocked, I think, to hear that in the wine industry, there have been some very surprising trends observed since, you know, call it 10, 11 months. Uh, of COVID, one of the more interesting ones that I've I've learned about is that um, even though global sales, um, you know, are sort of where they were last year, so you you would have thought there would have been let's say a thirty percent decline because people you know aren't going to restaurants. Here's the reality: they weren't going to restaurants, but they were just ordering a shit ton of wine from either the liquor monopoly, you know, in Ontario, or you know, the corner store in in Manhattan. So not only has consumption kind of gone up, which is, you know, interesting in and of itself, but the quality of wine has gone up so uh, that people are consuming because, you know, 
you're not going on vacation. You're not, you know, buying, you know, expensive outfits. You're not uh, spending money on consumption. Mm-hmm. But if you're at home and you're going to open up a bottle of wine, the, the trend, apparently the, the data shows that, you know, Ali is going to order a $50 bottle of wine from the LCBO or from the corner store when he would otherwise order, you know, a $20 wine. Because, I mean, Christ, what the hell are you going to spend your money on? Yeah. Enough, so yeah. that's been and well documented, you know, for, for the last number of months. My, my doctor, who I had a, a recent, you know, Zoom um, checkup with, uh, informed me uh, as a way of guilting me. It didn't work, but he said uh, 40% is the number that it, it has increased in, in Ontario, in the province that we're in, in Canada, it's a 40% rise in, uh, in alcohol sales. Well, well let, let, let me tell you, I have a good friend who has a wine importing store. We don't need to get into the whole diatribe on the liquor monopoly in Ontario, because I know you guys have listeners all over the world, but the, the, there's one Just entity the in Ontario that buys... Monopoly makes me, uh, makes us aware of where you stand on the whole thing, though. It, well, we don't have enough time in one podcast to bitch about the, the LCBO, yeah. but anyway, I will go on record. But this this guy, you know, has had a whole inventory of wonderful wines from uh, California and, uh, and Italy and elsewhere. The LCBO called him up in November and said, we are basically dry. We've run out of product. COVID has disrupted supply. We will buy every bottle of wine that you have in your stock. So this guy who'd been suffering because restaurants haven't been ordering and whatnot, got cleaned out by the, the liquor board and uh, you know made his year. To your point, th- there is no supply. People are buying tons of wine. They're buying good quality wine and uh, they're drowning their sorrows in booze, which, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And there is no supply because of the fact that we're all home and drowning our sorrows, so sorrows, right? That's that's what we're saying. Uh-huh. That's exactly what we're yeah, saying. Okay. And you combine wow. it with you know what I'll call global supply chain problems that are you know affecting everyone from uh, you know car manufacturers. To, it just takes a lot longer for stuff to move around because happen, yeah. know, half the world I, is out sick. So. Well, I was also wondering if the COVID has affected sort of the workers in vineyards and production plants. And I, I thought maybe there was an effect there too, but yeah, really that, it's really about consumption. That Well, that's what I would have thought too, because a lot of the, the pickers who pick wines in France, Italy, uh, Spain um, are migrants, right, Loretto? And so I don't know how much of that was going on during the, the picking season in, in, in late fall. Well, there, there, I read some stuff in, this, in the late summer um, in, in European coverage of the wine industry where it said, like you said, Marco, the migrant workers either have been banned from from you know migrating to the the region to do their work, or they're out sick, like you observed here in Ontario. Right. So what happened is basically management had to pick the grapes because you can't you can't leave them there. Someone's got to pick them. So basically, everybody from you know the head office of uh, a winery that who are typically dealing with you know office stuff had to put mm-hmm. on their their overalls, grab some scissors, and, and cut grapes off the vine. So you know. When duty calls, I guess, you know, you need to respond. So, again, a lot of really interesting, interesting data that's come out of uh, COVID for, for, you know, the wine. Obviously, wine tourism has has basically ended. But, right. uh, you know, the wineries are emptying up because people are getting drunk because, uh, you know, the world sucks. What I've noticed here in Ontario, uh, where, where the province we are in in Canada, is that a lot of restaurants are selling their wine their wine surplus or their wine supplies that they haven't been able to sell uh, because, you know, the restaurants are closed. But you can go to a restaurant and buy wines that they're selling that they would otherwise sell in their store. And I was very glad to know that they loosened the restrictions so that restaurants could do that. Such an amazing, it's been really been a lifesaver. If we, I've talked to a number of 
friends and family that own restaurants, you know, around uh, the greater Toronto area. And they've said, had it, had it not been for their ability to include, you know, a $25 bottle of wine in a takeout order, you know, they would have been toast and, and kudos to the government. You know, I know we have been bitching about the monopoly, but uh, the provincial laws here have been loosened uh, to allow for that kind of stuff. The, the other thing that really sucks about, you know, for your Canadian listeners is that, you know, we live in Ontario. You cannot order, you know, British Columbia wines directly from the winery. If you live in Ontario, we have these draconian interprovincial trade barriers uh, that are, and frankly, it's really bad for Ontarians because the best wines in Canada, you know, uh, arguably are grown in the Okanagan Valley and uh, north of Vancouver. So now, long story short, the, the, there's a private members bill before the government here in, in um, a number of provinces where they're trying to amend federal law to allow for that to happen. So it takes a pandemic for, I guess, my infomercial here, guys, <laughs> for people to smart to smarten up and realize, you know, a lot of this stuff is just bullshit that's been hanging around for, you know, over a century. And a lot of it's sort of remnants of, you know, prohibition era, era you know, type nonsense that just hasn't gotten off the books. Anyway, we're, we're using the opportunity of the pandemic to clean house. It, no, it's good, man, because we are a province. Um, you know, the nickname of Toronto, uh, there was Hogtown, uh, the Big Smoke, and then there's another one. I can't remember. I'm blanking now. Muddy York? A, Muddy York is, a, yeah, that's a classic. But no, there was another... Isn't there another nickname that suggests how, oh, Toronto the Good. Oh, Toronto the Good. Toronto the Good. And Toronto the Good was a lot about this. Very stiff, very rigid, very law-abiding. Well, and in fact, Ali, I think there are one or two counties or neighborhoods, I think, that are still dry in in Toronto, if not to this day until recently. Because back then, you know, the laws around consumption were basically allowed to be written by the neighborhoods, right? Yeah, the junction was dry until 93 or something like it was dry until not too long ago dry i don't want to know nothing about it dry let's talk let's talk about dry for a second guys because let we be accused of fraudulence on this show loretto please be completely (laughs) forthcoming about your consumption (laughs) right now please so ironically enough you know january came along a little bit too much consumption uh, leading up to the holidays and whatnot and so like many people I decided to invoke dry January. So it's been 25 days of, uh, of uh, sheer misery and uh, absolute uh, sorrow uh, in my home here north of Toronto because, you know, I, I work uh, uh, on Zoom calls, you know, many hours a day like many people. So, you know, at six o'clock comes around, turn the barbecue on and, you know, there's nothing uh, quite like having a nice, you know, glass of dry red, maybe, you know, uh, a dark and stormy in front of the TV at night. And I've had none of that. And so I know this isn't about me, but to all those people out there who are enduring dry January, I just yes, want to yeah. give them one piece of advice, which is even though, you know, the Cancer Society and other charities are saying, hey, why don't you just push through and do dry February? Fuck that. There's no way we can do two months of this because I think everybody, like I'll die myself. Well, so there's a whole happening. other- Although I'll, make, I'll make a donation, but I ain't, I ain't drying up. I'm sorry. Well, uh, Loretto, I-, I I, I don't know if I've been out to, to, to lunch or out to bed or w- w- what's happened, but apparently there's something called dry February. And, and I've yeah, heard it. This is, this is it, Ali. And it's, it's, I've never heard of it. And people are drinking right now in January, but then they're going to go dry in February. Uh, yeah. But to do both is, it's obscene. No. And to be fair, I think a number of charities have sort of marketed dry February, uh, like I was saying. So there, there are some cancer charities and other things. So that, that's all great. 
But for someone who's been like many who've been suffering all month in January, I'd rather stroke a check, make myself feel good to make the donation than, you know, keep a hundred bucks to go and buy six bottles of good red wine and, and explore. What, uh, anyway. what is your date of re-entry into a civilization? Uh, it's Valentine's Day. So basically, you know, uh, Saturday, February 13th, even yeah. though it's COVID, I've, uh, I've got a restaurant tentatively booked, uh, assuming that uh, the government lets us out of our holes. And right. uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. It's going to be a wet 14th, it sounds like. Oh, shit. Yeah. It is indeed. It is indeed. Nice. Uh, I, I solely meant that as opposed to dry. I didn't mean it any other, other way, unlike my, what my co-host is Disgusting thinking right Disgusting pervert. I know exactly what you meant. Listen, I, here's what I think. I think, you know, do dry for a couple of weeks and then go wet the next couple. I can't do a whole month of dryness. Sorry. It's just, it's, it's it horrible. Just, Look, there are a lot, a lot of good benefits, Marco, though, like, you know. There's tons of them. The, you, now, you know, everybody's immune system is a topic of conversation because of the pandemic. So, you know, there's science that says if you, uh, the longer you go without alcohol, uh, it kind of boosts your immune system. But you know what I say to that? Screw all that. Go eat a fucking ginger or do something to boost your immune system. If it, if it means you can have a glass of red, to hell with it. Listen, we've been washing our hands 45 times a day and wearing masks. Our immune systems are okay. Yeah. Nothing's happening. Nothing's getting in here. <laughs> I haven't gotten right. old. I haven't gotten a boil. I, I haven't this. gotten gout. Dude, my children, four children, yeah. disgusting germ factories. No germs. Oh my god! Since this thing started. Terrible. No germs. Oh. It's unbelievable. The whole Listen, time it was just about washing hands. Ali, much. I got to tell you that you you know at least once a week I get a text from Loretto with some wine article or some wine discovery he's made. It's pretty <laughs> incredible. Um, the wine knowledge he has and what he thinks I'll actually read. Um, nah, don't be like that. Listen, I get the articles, but then I'm like, you know what? It's easier if I just get them on the podcast because I don't have time to read all these wonderful articles. You send me the articles, Loretto. I, I really found them. I found the stories particularly interesting. Um, awesome. We should talk about a couple of them. Like there's, the, you know, on the theory of you know, everything you wanted to know about wine, but we're afraid to ask or fun yeah. facts about wine. I've got two, I think that people... Uh, we'll be interested to yeah, leave the podcast up. knowing a little bit more about wine. Yeah. One of them is, is actually very cool in my opinion. There's this, there's this, um, think of kind of 14th century or 15th century uh, medieval Italy, you know, there and all over Europe, as people will remember, not because they were there, but because they read history, that there were a number of pandemics and plagues and whatnot that, uh, you know, kind of wiped out half of uh, the continent D during those times you know, um, wineries in Tuscany, let's say, uh, wanted to sell the wine that they made, but they didn't want to basically go near anybody. So the solution they came up with was to build within the confines of their winery, these little windows where they could effectively pass, you know, jugs of wine and glasses of wine through to consumers paying customers without having to, you know, you know, touch anybody or become mm -hmm. infected. Yeah, so they're they're in Italian they're called buchetto del vino, which means the tiny window of wine. And if you go online, they're the cutest little things. They're kind of they look like a little arch, and they've got all kind of brick and stone around them. Call it you know one foot by by eighteen inches. Basically, it's it's the size um, Ali. If you were to have a wine uh, chalice in your hand or a wine goblet, whatever you want to talk, uh, and you're holding it from the base, it gives you enough room to just push that wine right. through this window that kind of looks like the cartoon mouse door that they would have like it's just an arch yes. window. 
and they're able to exactly. find right through their home uh, to the person on the other side who, uh, Loretto, if I'm not mistaken, they ring a bell if they want wine. Is that how that works? They, they, they do. That was certainly the old custom. But but the, the, the more interesting part about this is so this was sort of a 500 year old thing that happened way back, you know, the last time the world was really suffering under the pandemic. And then, you know, most of them were, you know, um, boarded up because, you know, drafty and whatever. And you, but when you walk around a city like Florence, you'll see, you know, dozens of them. Long story short, pandemic 2020, uh, some smart people in Florence who, you know, had to shut their stores and whatnot, got approval from the municipality to bust open the old uh, baby wine windows. Mm. And so now if you go online, you'll see videos of merchants selling ice cream and grappa and uh, little sandwiches and wine through these little Bugatti del Vino, these little wine windows. And it's a, it's a story, you know, it's a human interest story that's caught a ton of attention and uh, just shows you how a good idea can be recycled in the next time a pandemic rolls around. It's very, well, it, very cool. It's, it's so, it's a, it's a very cute thing. People will walk by if they're traveling. I, I feel like a lot of people walk by windows like that and go, oh, look how cute that window is. Not realizing that what that window really means, people have suffered. Historically, people have suffered in this city. You know what I mean? It's very, very interesting. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's, it's very telling in terms of the history. And if, for those of you who are interested in, uh, in kind of watching, you know, this this trend or or the documentation of this trend i'm a big fan of uh stanley tucci who's a um italian uh, american actor who's been in a bunch of movies he's you know been stuck in his home in london during the pandemic and has been doing a, a number of cool things he wrote a book and he's got this series um about italy uh, that's going to air i think on cnn at some point in the next couple of weeks and his first episode is it marco i think it's coming up soon his first episode is is in on the 14th yeah. of February, the day that you go off your dry kick is when it airs on CNN. Uh, Loretto and I have been texting each other back and forth, just being like, can't wait, can't wait, sending pictures, et cetera. Sorry, what, is what is he exploring in Italy? No, he, he was able to go and, and visit or not really? This is all from his home. He's no, no, you know what? This was filmed during the pandemic. I think it might have been during a lull, uh, Ali, in, in the parts of Italy where he's filming because uh, there's a YouTube clip. Um, on his first episode where I actually learned for the first time about this Bugetto del Vino and he's hearing the history from local people and you can see him wearing a mask and then taking it off. So I think it actually was filmed in the fall. So searching, something to look forward to. Mark it down. Searching for Italy. Stanley Tucci, searching for Italy, CNN. Yeah, exactly. He makes one of those stupid timpanos again like he made in the big night, does he, Marco? Uh, listen, you, you'd, be, you'd be so lucky to have to have what my last name tastes like. That's all I'm going to say. Best movie, best movie ever. Best Such movie a great ever. movie. So yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Um, okay. So Loretto, I've got to, we've talked about some legal, legal issues with wine. We've talked about pandemic wine. We've talked about the this little baby hole where you can get wine through, but now <laughs> I need to ask you an actual wine question. Go for it. All right. So, you know, there's going to be schleps like Ali who don't know much about wine. Present and accounted for, sir. Now, let's say he wants to have a couple of essential wines that he should have in his house. We did an episode where I talked about the essential liquors you should have in, in your house. So the five essential wines anyone should have in their house, what would those five be? So it's a good question. I mean, I, I think you want to say two or three reds and, you know, a couple of whites. And uh, again, this is going to be a very uniquely personal 
choice. But for the uninitiated, if you're having, you know, once we get to come out of our holes here, you're going to have a gathering and you're not, you know, a wine aficionado and you're looking to be, you know, not, not blow the doors off and impress the hell out of people, but just, you know, have the kind of wine collection where someone who knows a bit about wine comes over and says, hmm, you know, this guy's got a nice diverse um, palette when it comes to picking wine. Uh, I would start, and again, you can think about this either with food or without food. I think the last time we were on the show, we uh, we talked about some what I call really interesting wines, and we talked a lot about what they would be be paired with. But just on an absolute basis, I think you start let's start with a couple of whites. Every house needs you know a good white Sauvignon, or in French, you know Sauvignon Blanc. And I think we we talked about this wine last time. You know, very fruity. You can get them from from lots of different countries. Canada makes them. California makes them. Australia, New Zealand, um, some parts of Europe. There's uh, there's good Italian. Um, white Sauvignon. So just a really crisp, you know, think of, think of April. Uh, if you're in a lockdown environment, you know, the snow is going to be gone. Things are going to start to warm up. Maybe you're going to put some, you know, grilled fish on the barbecue. Sauvignon Blanc, great wine to have, to have with yeah. it. I always think when I'm having fish, it's Sauvignon Blanc, especially if I'm having a white light uh, flaky fish, Sauvignon Blanc is what I, what, what I pair with it. Now, do you ever consider not pronouncing the Blanc in Blanc or Never. is that not something? Okay. Well, I, that's something I, lean, I lean on that C-Q-U-E hard, my friend. It hurts. Yeah. Me. Because, because we, you know, we're 1970s babies, Ali, the most famous person in the world is Mel Blanc. <laughs> Who is the voiceover for all the Looney Tunes characters? So we don't know how to say it any other way. Every time he Sorry, says buddy. Blanc, I'm going to say that 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 that, that that's it, folks. <laughs> Something like that. He had some saying. Yeah, and so so that's the first one. I, I guess the other white that I would say that is very popular, and you know most most people when they think of white, they're going to want to you know want to have it around is the is Pinot Grigio. I'm not a fan, but it's a nice stable wine. It's not as sweet as the Sauvignon Blanc. It's a bit more, you know, got a bit more minerality, which we talked about last time. For those of you who listened in before, you know, the references to the earth that uh, that the grapes were grown in, you find a lot of miner, 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 mineral intense wines um, in, you know, in island producers like the Assyrtiko we talked about in Greece uh, the last time. Um, but I'm, I'm not a fan. You guys might be a fan of the Pinot Grigio. I just find it's, I don't know, it's not, it, it doesn't have a lot of structure. It's just sort of, you know, one of those things that you check the box with. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, Pinot Grigio is the wine. If you're with people who don't know wines and they want a white, it's the wine they usually go for. It's like the one that's the most palatable for the most people. Uh, but if you're someone who enjoys whites or wines in particular, um, it's the one that you're like, this is the one that I have to drink because everyone else, because it makes everyone happy. Um, yeah. And, and look, I don't, I don't drink white wine, but I have to have it in the house because my, my wife cares for white wine a lot. So I'll, I'll give you the one that we stock all the time. Uh, it's a wine from a, um, an Italian producer whose name is Angelo Gaia, G-A-J-A. Uh, and it's a wine called Vista Mare. So Vista and then Mare or for C. And so it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's not that easy to find, but I highly, highly recommend it. It has elements of all the best whites, in my opinion, not too sweet, not too dry. It goes amazing with, you know, seafood pasta or a piece of fish. And it's got, uh, it's, it's a blend. It's made with three different grapes, Vermentino, Voignet, and Fiano, which is, uh, just gives it an amazingly diverse um, jump off point when it when it hits your uh, your taste buds just i highly recommend it so but people have uh, that one down if you can find it 
Yeah, that's that's the thing, right? You're saying it's not that easy to find. It's just very popular, or it's just not made in in large. Uh, it, it's it's low. It's it's made in the, in the Bulgari, which is in in Tuscany in Italy, and it's low. It's low yield, Ali. So it's not because it's uh, it's popular, but it's also um, limited production. So it's it's exported all over the world. The issue there, and Loretto, you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but when you're th- when you think Tuscan wines you think reds, right? And Tuscany makes so much money off their reds that they don't plant a lot of whites because they know they're going to make their money from their reds. But what they're finding is when a Tuscan plants a white, the white is something that's incredible. And so some beautiful whites are coming out of, um, out of San Gimignano, out of areas in Tuscany that are just like, people are, are having them saying, this thing is wonderful. Why haven't we had it? And it's because because they're planting reds and whites grow really well there too. Is that fair to say, Loretto? It, it, it's an excellent point. And it's actually not only true in Tuscany, it's true in the Veneto. And I'll give you one more example of, uh, when I said we stock one wine, we actually stock... Two of them here. One of them is the Vistamara. The other one is called the. It's called Black to White, and it's made by a um, a vintner in the Veneto region uh, in the north part of Italy near the uh, the Swiss border, um, called Zime Z Y M E. It's sold all over the world. It's a, it's a high volume uh, product. You can buy it in the states. You can buy it in Canada, elsewhere. And what's really cool about it, it's called Black to White because. They planted what they thought were red grapes, and when the grapes matured and they crushed the grapes, they actually made white wine. So they didn't actually think they were making a red at all. And and what what the, the I've met the the vintner. He was here in Canada last year, and he said this was a complete accident. It was a complete fluke. And when we when we you know when we matured the 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 juice and we fermented it, what came out was this really eclectic. You know, red wine, kind of sweet and fruity, but it has it has a bit of a red hue in the color, and a little bit of the more structured tannins of a red. And so we've been buying it for years. It's uh, it's affordable, um, relatively speaking. And uh, again, I'd put it on your your shopping list. And for people uh, certainly in in uh, the Ontario region who are interested, uh, they can message uh, me through uh, through my friends here at Eat and Drink. I'm happy to provide the name of the importer who uh, who brings it in. But it's really good. So you've got Vista Mare and Black to White if you want something that's a little bit off the beaten path to have. And I do. I love the fact that they sort of own their mistake and make it part of the story of the wine, right? To to call it Black and White, it it highlights the accent, but it's beautiful. And and then, Ali, if you have it, you have it, you've got a story to tell, too, which is all these the other great part about entertaining with wine. Uh, You can kind of fill people in on the background. It just makes it more enjoyable for them. It's classic Italian, Ali. When something goes wrong, rather than fix it, they'll just tell a story to romanticize it. And then everyone wants it. For example, any other country in Europe, you have a tower that leans at a 45 degree angle. You're going to tear that thing down before it kills someone. In Italy, they just say, oh, look, the tower's leaning. And they build an industry around it. Good Good job, guys. (laughs) Okay, we got our whites, Loretto. What's next? Yeah, so for me, again, it's going to be uh, a nice Cabernet Sauvignon or Cab Sauv. I mean, you can find them all over the world. You can find them for, you know, $11. You can find them for $1,100. So it's the kind of wine that, um, you know, is approachable at at any price point, at any budget. Uh, I think based on what we talked about earlier, you know, the Californian Cabernet Sauvignons are selling a little more at the high end. So, for example, I've been reading some some wineries in Napa 
have been just given the demand for higher priced uh, offerings, they've been opening up, you know, they, they call their historical inventory a library, a wine library. Not sure why they do that because it, you know, a wine bottle certainly didn't look like a book the last time I checked, but that doesn't mm-hmm. matter. They've been opening up, you know, older vintages in their library. And so again, you can, you can, you can, especially during COVID, you can get access to some really good, if you like something with a bit more history, a bit more aging. Um, so there's, there's so much you can explore within that one, you know, type of wine. Um, I, I really enjoy, you know, the ones from, um, from uh, the Russian River Valley in uh, in California, there's a wine. Um, oddly enough, the vineyard is called Jackass. A Jackass uh, Vineyard. They make a, a spectacular wine. It's a, a Cab Sauv. They've got a bit of a bit of more spice in it versus a normal Cabernet Sauvignon. So a Cab is good because if you're having you know 30 people over and you want you need to buy 10 bottles of wine, you don't have to go bankrupt. If you're having a romantic date for your significant other or prospect and you want to impress. Uh, you know, you can you can hit any price point and uh, and look good. So definitely, you gotta have cab in your in your in your wine fridge or in the the section of your fridge devoted uh, devoted to wine. Okay, on that, can yeah. I just can I just press pause here, Loretto? You talk about you're yeah. talking about a red wine, and you're talking about a fridge. This is where I think a lot of people get confused with red wines, and I think here's a great opportunity to dispel this myth that a a red wine should be lukewarm yeah and so again this is going to be a uniquely personal uh personal thing uh, i i have to tell you that uh you know i've i've known my my wife's family for almost 30 years and when i started dating her i would try to be impressive by bringing her dad you know pretty shishi wines and uh and you know they would they would always be you know opened up and then poured into a a, a glass with ice and it would break my heart but uh <laughs> Again, I, I was playing the long game and trying to bag his daughter, so I really didn't bitch about it. But but you know, yeah, in I, 2021, I, I bring a eighty dollar piece of steak to my uh, to my father in laws, and he'll just grill it until it's a leather belt, and then go delicious, huh? Yeah, well, well, I tell you, Ali, my my mother in law doesn't let my father in law barbecue when when they know that I'm coming over because he does the same thing; he turns it into shoe leather. But I love him anyway. Yeah, yeah of course. Of um, course. But anyway, so so anyway, Marco, to your point, yeah, red wine. You sh- I mean, in order to enjoy it to its full potential and to get an, a real appreciation, a proper appreciation for all the notes. And again, I, I've never been about all this fancy. Well, you know, uh, what what do you smell? Oh, I have hints of like asphalt and like uh, rotten oranges and shit like that. It's just never been. Uh, do you like it or you, or do you don't like it? If it's cold, you're not going to appreciate a wine's potential. If it's room temperature. Uh, you're going to, but that doesn't mean that if you buy a nice bottle of wine, like a Cabernet Sauvignon that you spend, I don't know, 50 bucks on, that you wouldn't store it in the fridge. I mean, you know, red wine is stored. Those of us who age wine, um, you store it at 55 degrees. So putting it in the in the fridge doesn't mean that you're, you know, a doofus for doing that. Um, just make sure that, you know, if you're going to open the red wine and take it out before you go to work. So when you get home for and you're cooking dinner, you can enjoy it while you're cooking. I like my reds a bit cool. I don't love room temperature. I like it slightly cooler than that. And that's okay, right? There's no judgment here because, again, it's a uniquely personal preference. But presumably, you wouldn't want to drink it right out of the fridge. If you spent 50 bucks on a bottle of wine, Marco, presumably See, you want to open up a little bit. 
I look at it like this, and and this is and this is solely my, the way I look at it. I look at it like I want it from the cantina. I want it from a cool cellar. So I don't want it from the fridge, but I don't want it from uh, the cupboard uh, where my TV is. I want it from a cool cellar. That temperature when you walk into a cellar. I think it's because I grew up with a cool cellar in the house, mm-hmm. and uh, so for me, I like it a little bit, uh, not room temperature, a little cooler than that. I, I approach I approach it the way I approach cheese. You have a cold, hard block of cheese. There's so much depth of flavor you're not getting to. Yeah. There's so yeah, you're exactly. so much getting. So bringing down that temperature and a little bit cool is is absolutely fine for us. But yeah, um, I think cold wine is uh, you're cheating yourself. Yeah, unless you're talking about, you know, a nice uh, sparkling Lambrusco that we talked about last time, which for my money is the best, you know, the best bottle you could buy on on the planet, which you want to serve it almost frozen if you can get it that cold. Uh, Again, a uniquely personal preference for for everybody. All right, we've got the Cab Sauve. What's the other red, Loretto? Um, You know what? The one that we stock here for what I'll call everyday table wine is uh, an Italian grape called Montepulciano d'Abruzzo which is available all over the world. It's uh, produced in high volume. It's from a region in central Italy, literally smack dab in the middle of the country, south of, uh, south of Rome. Um, lots of uh, hills and mountains and, you know, uh, really roughish terrain. So the wine that comes out of there is, uh, has got some minerality. It's not very sweet. It's, uh, it's dry, beautiful color, very smooth on the palate. And again, it's the kind of wine, and we talked about this last time, you could have with, you know, filet mignon, you could have with a burger, you can have with, you know, fries and ketchup. It's just versatile. It's easygoing. Um, and there's tons of different, again, this is one like Cabernet Sauvignon where you could buy, I just bought a case of my favorite uh, producer called um, Zaccagnini. And it's, it's what I love about it. Not only I love the wine, but the label is handwritten by the founder and every bottle has a little piece of wood tied with, um, you know, what you get, uh, Marco, what do we get at church? Uh, this is coming from a card carrying Catholic, the stuff that we Palm. get, uh, on Palm Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope my mother's not listening. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's wrapped around the bottle with, um, with palms. So it's, it's again, just a cool presentation to put on the, on the table when you're, when you're serving it. But I bought a case, I think I paid maybe 12, 12, $13 a bottle, if not less. So really good, easy drinking wine. And you can spend 500 bucks on a, on a low vintage aged uh, Montepulciano if you were you know, so inclined. But again, up and down every price point, good with everything. Uh, you know, like you can keep a case in your, you know, somewhere in your house without breaking the bank. So you look impressive when, you know, you, someone surprises you. When pe- remember, remember the days, guys, when people used to come over? You know, you need to prepare for that because when we get vaccinated in Canada in 2025, you know, we're going to be really, really socially inept. So uh, a little wine to break the ice isn't going to hurt anything. Florence has taught us anything. Eventually, people will come and stick their head in your window again. Yeah, that's exactly right. Is is the Montepulciano the name of the grape, by the way, of Abruzzo, the grape of Abruzzo, or is Montepulciano something else? It's a region that that spills over, right, Loretto, from uh, Abruzzo to Tuscany. So, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Loretto, because now I feel like I'm I'm saying the wrong thing, but you can get Montepulciano wines from Tuscany that are very expensive, and you could get comparable wines in Abruzzo that that are, are in the same region. Is that right? So it's wrong, but that's, but that's okay, Marco, because you know what, just like you, you, just like you corrected me on the last podcast, 
and you did so in a very disparaging way. I'm going to be very polite when I correct you on this one, which is to say. You've got to lead backing you up. Disparage away, my friend. Disparage away. So in Tuscany, the wine is Brunello di Montalcino, which is an entirely different. It's it's we couldn't be talking about two more different uh, wines, buddy. So okay. um, so Brunello di Montalcino, again, it's the flagship Tuscan wine. The cheapest bottle, you know, in Canada will be like 60 bucks. So maybe $45 in the U.S. And you can literally spend thousands on a bottle. So the royalty of Super Tuscans is the Brunello di Montalcino. Uh, and then Montepulciano, again, that's it's not surprising. A lot of people get this confused, Marco. Um, different thing entirely. That, that's the name of the grape, Montepulciano d'Abruzzo. And uh, you've got hundreds of different producers that make uh, wine with that grape. It's amazing, you know, Loretto, that five minutes of Marco jumping in and saying, well, actually, Ali, it's time we'll never get back, you know, and in a pandemic, this is valuable <laughs> time. And now we have to listen to this. The answer was yes, that's the grape. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I always thought, well, I was, I thought there was a town in Tuscany called Montepulciano. Clearly, I'm wrong. I thought it's I called it's called it's called Monta, the, the one that I'm remembering and because I've been there is called Montalcino. But there, hey, who knows? Maybe there could be one. The other one, again, I wasn't going to correct you, but since you're pushing the point, oh, no, there is no contiguous border between Abruzzo and, and Tuscany. There's like five different regions in between the two of them. But that's okay because you threw me under the bus when I said that Veneto was in uh, was in Lombardy last time. So I've never. I actually get up when I do sit-ups in the morning. I remind myself of the regions in Italy, so I never make that mistakes again. So thanks for that. I'm four pounds lighter because of the embarrassment I suffered in May, but it's all good. He's like De Niro in Cape Fear. All he pictures is Marco going, actually, Loretto. And he's like, 10 more, 20 more. Listen, it was one of the we've dropped. It was one of the accomplishments of my life that I was able to pull that one out of my ass. But uh, <laughs> I got my regions all messed up. Uh, but oh my uh, god, I've never had I've never had more fun th than I did. And I will plug your show for a second, guys, because I mentioned this before when I came last time that uh, I never listened to a podcast in fifty years since until the COVID hit, and I had had this podcast on my list of things to do. And I and you know this, I listened to every single one of them. I know so much more now about things that I'm happy to know like the kinds of um, martinis that, you know, are made in the James Bond movies, not only, you know, what they are, but why they're made. And, you know, the world is a better place because of eat and drink. And I'm going to stop right there. Oof. I'm turning red. Thank you so much. Oh, man. Listen, okay. We got the yeah, two reds. We got the two reds. I need a blush wine, Loretto. I know I don't, I don't strike you as someone who likes a blush wine, but come June, Come July, I like to put a little blush on my table. All right, that's fine. Well, for, for my money, if you're going to do that, I'm going to go back to, and again, this will be repeat for some of the folks who were kind enough to listen to your first podcast when I was on. But for my money, the best uh, rosé, sparkling rosé out there uh, is um, rosé Franciacorta wine. So it's pink Franciacorta. There's tons of different kinds. Uh, you can find it all over the place. I'm telling you, next time we get together, I'm going to bring some. And, uh, you know, it, on a nice warm day, that one you want to have chilled overnight and maybe re-chill it, hyper-chill it before you serve it. There is nothing like it. It is so smooth. It's the kind of bubbles that aren't kind of hard, you know, when they go down. Um, just really enjoyable. It's not an Alka-Seltzer in a glass. It's not an alcohol. Exactly. It's kind of like, you know, you know, the mineral water in Italy, that's kind of, um, 
you know, what they call it effervescente, but not like really hard bubbles. It's kind of like that. So smooth, uh, pretty in the glass. You know, on a Sunday morning, throw some strawberries in there while you're, uh, you know, cooking up your bacon and eggs or whatever floats your boat. I would definitely put that on the list. Okay. All right. You got your wish. It may have been a repeat, but you, you delivered it like it was the first time. But I do remember the pronunciation of Francia Corta. It's something I, uh, I can't forget, but I had, uh, I had neglected to, uh, to act on that one. If you're going to open a bottle for Valentine's Day, do your partner a favor. Get yourself Francia Corta. Chill that thing like it's going out of style. And I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. He does not speak ill of this wine. Well, I'm telling you guys, one of the things I miss the most about uh, about COVID is not being able to travel like everybody else who likes to move around. And so my wife and I decided we were going to book. We've booked uh, one week in the Veneto region for the first week of October. There's an 80% chance that I'm going to have to cancel the flight and the hotel. But having it in my calendar just fills my heart with joy because one of the first things we're going to do when we land is to go back to this little winery that makes uh, small batches of uh, Francia Corta and sit there with the owner, cut up some salami and cheese made with the milk from the cows behind the winery and, you know, kick it back old school. Can't wait. In my mind, I can't wait. It's good. I think it's it's actually kind of healthy to have both yeah. the perspective that this might be uh, canceled, but also to have it in your calendar. I think it, it, it does good things for a while. And I... Once you cancel that, you'll have something else to replace it. Hopefully, that'll keep you motivated on the future. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. One day at a time, folks. One day at a time. Well, that's a great little tour. That's a great little tour. Vista Mare and uh, Black to White are the two whites that you yeah. uh, recommended. Rosé Franciacorta. I, I know I'm not doing enough ch and the k. Oh, you, you know what? That's impressive. I'm telling you right now, I'm I'm very impressed. That's the rosé, Montepulciano d'Abruzzo, and the Cab Sauve. I I wrote, I wrote down Jackass, but there was another Cab Sauve as well. Uh, well, that's the one from uh, from the Russian River Valley. But again, there's there's tons of different ones. I mean, I could I could I could name a whole bunch of them off, but. Um... I, I, I would, you know what, if you're looking for something unique, I would try, I would try the jackass. If not, you know, a camus, a cake bread. I mean, you name it. There's so many in Napa that are, that are so good. I love it, buddy. Great. We've learned, we've, uh, we've grown together. We certainly have. <laughs> I, Indeed. To, and for you to talk about wine with this level of passion and knowing that you can't have it for another, I mean, whatever, 20 days, this is, uh, this is heroic stuff. This is the stuff. It's, of, uh, uh it's painful and joyful, uh, all in the same, uh, all in the same breath, guys. But are you, are you, do you feel yourself benefiting right now? Are you sleeping better? Are you losing weight? Is all that stuff happening? Yeah. The problem with losing weight is that, yeah, I'm not drinking, but I'm eating like a fucking pig. So the problem is that, uh, one problem gets uh, solved and the other one gets created, but you know what? We're running a lot. We're walking a lot. So on balance, I think we'll be net, uh, net neutrality, but, uh, yeah, sleeping better. Um, yeah. I, think I just worry that I'm going to go back so hardcore when it's over that uh, any incremental benefit will disappear. All jokes aside, the, the break you give to your liver alone, even if you're eating a lot and all that, I think, uh, I think that's, you know, I, uh, my father-in-law, heavy drinker his whole life, but for the month of Ramadan, always stops drinking. And I think that's kept him into his 70s, you know, like it's kept him, uh, knock on wood so far, no, no major issues in his health. And I think even just that, you know, 30 days out of 365 of like doing a reset, 
very, very valuable. Well, look, I mean, if you look around the world, I don't know if we talked about this last time, Marco, but there are these places that they call blue zones all over the world where there's an inordinate life expectancy relative to, you know, the rest of the world. And so there's a there's some island in Greece where the average age is like 99. And so yeah. people studied it. They'll lead to say, well, what the hell is going on with these people? And you know what? It's it's three things. It's social interaction. So card games, afternoon walks with your buddies, sex, even into your 80s and 90s. Don't ask. I have no idea. Mm. And uh, a glass of wine a day, if not a bottle of wine a day. Remember so, the sex. I watched this special about that. About uh, there was a, a, a blue zone in uh, Japan. Uh, there was Sardinia, uh, Sardinia, and uh, yeah, there was a couple more. I can't remember where they were, but I don't remember the sex part. But that's Acadia, Greece, uh, Costa Rica, yeah. and Loma Linda in California. Those are the places. There's a great. There's a great Netflix show. Um, that's hosted by a guy named Zach Efron, who is this kind of teenage actor from Disney, but he's actually grown up and become uh, a reasonably serious uh, person. And he's got this show um, down to earth. Called da- down to earth. Yeah. one of the episodes where I learned this uh, is about the blue zones and he goes to Sardinia, Marco, you're right. That's one of the blue zones. And it, he talks to the old people, but well, how the hell did you get, how the hell did you get to 95? Hmm. And a lot of it's emotional and spiritual and it's, you know, wine, cheese, bread, the Mediterranean diet. And none of this processed shit that we, you know, that we get exposed to here every day. That's it. So I, I think the lesson is when, you know, people drive by and see a couple of old Italian men on a, on a stoop and you go, ah, go home. Why are you judging everyone in the neighborhood? They're not, they're just being healthy. <laughs> well, you fast forward, you fast forward kind of 40 years from now, it'll be Marco and I on that same stoop. God, willing. I hope so. We'll see. I hope so. And it'll be you and Marco. And you, and you, and you. I mean, we need, uh, you know, we need all the help we can get. Totally. Totally. I'm, I'm into it. I, I stopped drinking here and there. I, I go, I cut out meat here and there. And it's all for that reason. So I can live into those years and be a little bit uh, mobile and healthy. Listen. Exactly. This this has been the episode, my friends. The COVID wine. Uh, let's let's live into our '90s episode. I'm really digging it. Yeah. That said, Loretta, will you be a guest on our show again? Well, I don't know if uh, if I'm worthy. I'm happy to come back. Uh, maybe we can do one uh, toward the back end of COVID to see how uh, the breakout from this pandemic is affecting uh, you know people's consumption and trends about wine. Uh, maybe we can. Uh, Maybe in between now and the next time we can go over to Florence, the three of us, and grab some uh, Brunello out of a little baby wine window and call it a day. I'm happy to come back. You guys just let me know. Listen, from your lips to God. Yeah, seriously. I'm already planning the lie I'm going to tell my wife. Look, they want want a comedian at a show in a vineyard in uh, in Florence. What do you want from me? Huh? I just go where I'm supposed to go, honey. Anyway, I'll see you guys in a week. That's it. That's crazy. (laughs) All right. Well, Riddle, I can't thank you enough. I mean, uh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. Have a rest of the good rest of the show, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, Loretto. We will have you back when when we're entertaining again, because I mean, who better to uh, to give us ideas on what to entertain with? You know. Hopefully, we can do a live simulcast from from my place, and we can uh, we can podcast it from the backyard with uh, some French Accorta in hand. That'll be good. Sure. You and I just enjoying ourselves, smoking cigars and sipping and. <laughs> When guys, you're you're smoking too loudly. It's affecting the audio. You can't, guys. And he's clapping. And guys, no, I can't. Guys, please. That's classic. <laughs> Marco, are you still there? I'm still here. I'm still here. Listen, I, 
I've, I've made nothing but mistakes on today's show, so I'll take it. I'll take it with a with a huge uh, grain of salt here. <laughs> take care. Luke. Thanks for having me. Take you. care. Ciao. Be good, guys. That is it for us. I'm Ali Hassan. I'm Until we eat and drink again. We hope you got your fill of eat and drink with Ali Hassan and Marco Timpano. Follow them on Instagram and Twitter at Podcast Eat Drink. Email them your cocktail and food suggestions to podcasteatdrink at gmail.com. Until the next episode, bottoms up. <laughs>